Welcome to Radical AI, a podcast about technology, power, society, and what it means to be human in the age of information. We are your hosts, Dylan and Jess. And welcome to the seventh episode of Measure Mentality. This 10-episode series is sponsored by and in collaboration with the IEEE Standards Association, a collaborative organization where innovators raise the world's standards for technology. IEEE SA enables the collaborative exploration of emerging technologies, the identification of challenges and opportunities, and the development of recommendations, solutions, and technology standards that solve market-relevant problems. Before we begin, we want to remind you all that the views and opinions of the guests of Measurementality are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers or affiliations or the views of IEEE or the IEEE Standards Association. If you're new to Measurementality, in this series, we interrogate the metrics of success in artificial intelligence by exploring the following topics. How is success measured today in AI? What positive future can we envision with AI? And finally, what measures of success can get us to that positive future? In this episode, we interview Anand Rao and Sarah Jordan to explore how success is measured in our governance systems for AI. And now it is our pleasure to share this interview with all of you. We are on the line today with Sarah Jordan and Anand Rao. Welcome to the show, Sarah and Anand. We're so happy to have you on this episode of Measure Mentality. And we are talking all about AI governance and accountability today. So Sarah, we're going to start it off with you and ask you our first token Measure Mentality question, which is, how is success measured today in AI and specifically with an eye towards governance? Good morning, Jess. Good morning, Dylan. Thanks for having us on today. Um, it's actually really great to be able to join you guys on the Radical AI podcast. Um, that question about how do we measure AI governance success really starts by understanding how we measure governance. So for those of you who are not on the engineering side and may remember your old management um, classes about what is governance, you know, it's planning, it's organizing, it's staffing, directing, coordinating, budgeting, right? To the extent that you can say you have a coherent plan for how you use AI, for where you want to use AI, and for how you want to, to express AI in your business, that's a great start. But saying that you also have a way of organizing your data architecture, that you know where your data lives, who has access to it, which vendors are provisioned in and out of the system, which engineers are provisioned in and out of the system, who's in charge of the feature engineering that you're engaged in, that's also a great start. If you know you've got a solid AI staffing plan that your bus factor on each of your flagship AI products is more than one, which basically means that if that one person got hit by the proverbial bus, you'd still be able to run it tomorrow. That's another measure of success. None of the measures for successful AI governance should come as a shock to anyone who is familiar with organizing governance for any other critical business function. Um, one of the things that I like to hammer home when we teach AI governance as part of our understanding digital data flows class at Future Privacy Forum is to say the hype cycle on AI shouldn't overwhelm your already existing understandings of governance success. Anand, uh, same question to you about how you see success being measured today in AI governance. And I'm also wondering if uh, you can build on Sarah's answer and talk about the who um, that we're talking about when we talk about AI governance, who are the players here uh, in the first place? Yeah, uh, thanks again uh, for having me, uh, Dylan and Jesse. So great to be on your Radical AI podcast. So yeah, continuing on from what Sarah was saying, uh, I think uh, she gave a great example of governance and the different elements of governance. So now when we look at AI systems, uh, yes, it is the broader governance that we all understand, but there are specific nuances around AI specifically, right? So now let's just take, unpack that. 
uh, one of the key things that you, you talked about success, so success for AI. Uh, now I'll give what people are measuring today, and then again, maybe we can come back to what would be ideal to measure. So what people are measuring today uh, for AI is just the broadly the return on investment or ROI, right? So just like any other investment, any other technology project, any, any project for that, for, for, for that matter is all around ROI. Now let's just sort of try and tease that out, right? So it's return on investment. Now, if you look at return, the returns are calculated very much that from that financial perspective. Again, nothing wrong with that, uh, but uh, in the case of AI, it is not just the financial aspects. There are a lot of other aspects that go into it. Some of the softer elements of better experience might eventually lead to better revenue. Even if it doesn't lead to a better revenue, it might lead to a better satisfied customer, right? So that's just one example. So there are a number of those soft factors of return that are not taken into account. The other challenge that you often see uh, when you talk about returns on AI and AI systems is this notion of uh, uh, better performance, better uh, and more efficient uh, tasks, right? So you're automating certain tasks or you're making certain decisions better. In both of these, the baseline comparison that the algorithm is being compared to is humans. And unfortunately, we don't have any baseline or very few organizations have baseline for how well a human is performing for us to say yeah, the AI is performing better than a human or worse than a human, right? So, and when you get to human, which human, your best employee in your organization, your worst employee, your average employee, even if you can have that. So there are lots of these sort of intricacies around how you measure return. And same thing goes into the investment side as well. I, I think, um, Sarah brought out a great point, right? So when you build AI, it's not just the system, it's the data that goes into it. It's the people making the decisions, right? So it's the entire package from end to end. Now, when they talk about investments, most companies just look at how many people did it take to build this tool or build this AI, uh, three people. But that misses the point in terms of how long did it take for you to collect the data? How long did it take actually to cleanse the data? And what about labeling of data that becomes important if you're building a machine learning? So all of these soft costs that are not really taken into account when you compute your return on investment, right? So an organization's measure uh, ROI, but there are lots of nuances around that for AI systems. That's just one aspect of governance. And, and as Sarah was laying out, if you look at the specification part, the design part, and the change management aspects, the end-to-end, -end, there are various nuances at different points. And one of the things that we often talk about, you ask the question also, who is involved? We need people at different levels to be involved, right? So that's the key thing. So we call it top-down and end-to-end -end governance, right? So the two aspects of it. So we need, of course, the data scientists, the technologies, they all play a role in the governing the specific models because these are all very mathematical. They are the experts in it. So they need to be involved in the governance. But then you get to the next level of uh, compliance uh, and then beyond that audit and maybe independent committees, the business getting involved. And at some level we are seeing CEOs and even the boards getting involved, especially of some of the technology companies whose mainstay is building AI, uh, AI systems. So I think it's, it's very much a, uh, a organizational issue across all groups that need to be concerned. Of course, some more than others, but I would say definitely the chief analytics officer, chief data officer, uh, chief risk compliance officers are all uh, having a big stake in, in doing AI governance properly. Absolutely. And I honestly, I think it'd be great if we got a little bit more specific because I do not have a, a lot of background in AI governance. And so I'm looking for something to hold on to here. And I'm wondering if either of you have a specific example of an instance when we know that AI governance has succeeded. How do we know that an AI governance system is successful? And maybe on the flip side, how do we know that an AI governance system has potentially failed? 
maybe I, I can go with that, so Sarah, feel free to jump in. Your second question is easier to answer than the first one. We know when it has failed, right? So when uh, your company is on the headlines of major newspapers in a bad way, in a negative way, you know you've got it wrong, right? So, but that's an extreme, right? So I'm sure no company wants their headline in a negative way on, on any of these newspapers. Uh, so I think it's easier to detect what goes wrong. And there are a number of things that can go wrong to your point. Uh, you see, so one is uh, uh, fairness and bias, right? So there are a number of AI systems and number of news uh, items that have popped up where the AI has been determined to be in some sense biased and unfair. Now, um, it's a very, I mean, I'm sure we can do what an entire hour on talking about fairness and bias and the intricacies of it, but that's a very challenging issue. It's not necessarily just a technology issue or a data science issues. It's very much a people issue and our definitions of fairness there are 30 plus definitions of fairness and what's fair according to my definition or my metric may not be the same for you, right? So that's where some of those issues come. So that is one specific aspect. Then uh, we also have explainability of models, explainability of results, right? So uh, let me give you a simple example. Uh, someone applies um, for a mortgage and the bank's, uh, bank is using, let's say an AI machine learning system and it comes up with a score and says you are rejected. Now for a consumer, telling that your score was meant to be 620 and unfortunately your score is only 610, you got rejected, it's not helpful at all, right? So you need to tell me why I didn't get it and what should I do more importantly in order to get it? Or you might say, yes, you asked for 90%, we can give you 80% of the loan value, not 90%, right? So because you didn't meet that score. So I think there needs to be much more than just if you like uh, replicating the model results and then reading it out to a customer, you need to be able to explain and then models need to be able to explain and the people using those models need to be explained. So that's another aspect. Then the third one is um, uh, security, right? So are these systems really secure and safe to be used? Uh, if it is a physical thing like autonomous vehicle, we are seeing accidents and so on, right? So is the system safe and how do we know that? And do we, can we, safely deploy it, uh, or is it not even safe enough for deployment? And what do we mean by safe enough for deployment? Are we okay if it hits two people, uh, but not 20 people? Is that our notion of safety? Or is it zero tolerance, right? So no deaths, no hitting, only then we'll release, right? So what happens if it does? So there are a whole host of issues around safety, security, and privacy being another one, right? So that's a very interesting example. In fact, Sarah and uh, I were on a, on a project for a client. We were very, very specifically looking at, they started with data privacy, but then the data is, uh, again, how they're obviously using the data, but as it feeds into the models, you need to worry about how does the model using that data, what is the context in which it is using, where did we get the uh, data, and who has the right to be using it, right? So as a company, they had to decide uh, it's a third-party data or one of their provider data. Can they use to make an inference, even if it is for the benefit of the member, right? So have they asked the right permissions? Can they combine different member data to get to an aggregate, right? So all of those are issues. So to uh, answer you, Jesse, so the governance uh, and especially AI governance to us so splits into these technical areas. And then there are obviously people process related areas. So uh, have you checked off all the things in, from a compliance perspective, from a governance perspective, from a risk perspective, right? So you cannot deploy things with a zero risk. So have you managed that risk? So someone within the risk organization, have they looked at it and said, yeah, that looks reasonable, right? So reasonable risk, and do you have that risk appetite? So all of those sort of people process aspects also come in. So that's the overall governance, if you like. I would add to something that Anand was saying, you know, particularly when he explained, you know, that success is when we've got top-down and end-to-end -end understanding of the AI that we're using. We can measure when governance goes right, when we can say we have alignment from top and to down to end to end of everyone in the organization understanding what it is we're doing with AI. If you have a silo, say in marketing or business or logistics that has no idea that you're using AI or doesn't know how you use it, couldn't explain it, 
and they're not brought into the explanations that the company produces, that your data analytics officers produce, that's a governance failure, right? Because you don't have the top down and end and control. But thinking a little bit lower level, you know, so if I am a, a project leader, a team lead, how do I know that the governance of my team um, building a particular product that is powered by, how do I know that the governance is going well there? I would say it's, I can build the artifacts that give me and my team a sense of control of what we're doing. And also then give people who are above me a sense that we have control of this. And that means a couple of things, right? So for example, on the data side, can you complete a data sheet for data sets? Now there's a bunch of those types of artifacts out there, but to the extent that you can use one of them and say, we know what our data is, we know what the province is, we know the inflows, we know the outflows, we know who has their hands in it, you know, who's swimming in your data lake, you can answer those questions. That's a, that's a smaller, you know, local team measure of governance success. But then things like, do you have a model registry? Can you say, what are all of the, the models that you're using? How are they knit together? Can you figure out, is there zombie AI walking around in your systems? Things you don't even know that you built 10 years ago that are now accidentally mission critical to something that's really important as a flagship product that you have. And then thinking of your output and your users, we tend to think, um, I think all of us almost imagine AI in terms of an F1 matrix on a regular basis, knowing that our biggest group you know, is predicted positive and served positive. As long as that comes out well, we're generally happy. But looking at the far side of your confusion matrix and deciding, well, what, what are we missing in terms of people who are predicted to be positive, but aren't, right? What are we doing for individuals who are small users or bespoke users or people who will use our products for things we couldn't have even imagined, right? To the extent that you've imagined that, that you are trying to engage with those stakeholders or those users and you're responsive to them, right? Even if that's just bringing them into the fold, that's itself a governance success. And that can be measured users outside of the organization or inside of the organization. If you have users of your systems within your company who are folks that you don't even realize, do your janitors interact with your uh, automated decision systems? Do your basic IT folks, do your facilities people interface with um, the automated decision systems or the AI systems? If you don't know that, but they do, you've got a problem, right? That's a, that's a governance failure. But correcting that and getting to success is just a matter of doing those same things we know is critical for governance in all other phases of the organization, right? What's your staffing? What's your planning? How are you organizing this, et cetera? So far, we've laid out some of the problem statement here in AI governance, and then also talked a bit about the successes as we might be seeing them now. And uh, I'm wondering if we can move to talk a bit more future thinking, and this is the fun, almost idealistic question of the positive future that you both can envision with AI and with AI governance. And uh, Sarah, I know that you mentioned model registries, and I'm wondering if uh, we can start with that topic, perhaps as an example of where we might move uh, into this positive future with AI governance. Sure. So um, I know Anand is able to say a lot more about model registries, but let me start that to, by saying, right now, we're coming out of the end of an excited development phase where in a lot of different companies, big or small, we've built very interesting and critical um, AI, but we don't always know how those things knit together um, within not only the context of our company, but also within the context, the broader context and the broader ecosystem of AI that's used within an industry vertical or say, you know, across a nation, you can see the concentric rings um, building up. To the extent that we could say there's a, a, 
there's a role for model registries and a positive future for AI, it's really being able to better characterize what models go where, serve to whom, interacting with whom, creating that web of knowledge using sort of using a graph approach and figuring out where our nodes happen to be and where they interconnect to being able to see where are areas of dramatic over-service, right, or under-provisioning of service, being able to identify are there sections, whether or not of a population or of an industry, et cetera, that are left out of the graph of AI, using, of AI users. A model registry can help us get there because it can tell us what models we're using, using what data, how serving which, um, which predictions that are used by which models in, for which comp, et cetera, right? You can see it sort of uh, spidering out into the network and into the graph. And just starting with the, the registry is one way of knowing the interconnections between edges and, and nodes and products and services. Sorry to interject briefly, but would one of you actually mind giving a brief definition of model registries for our listeners who have maybe never heard of that before? Yeah, I can I can give that uh, definition. So model registry, if you like, is uh, a collection or a description of models. Um, assume that there is one line per model and there is some description of that model. Right, so that's what a model registry is—a registry of uh, models, their descriptions. It goes more than just that, right? It's not just a description, but what is the data elements that that model is taking in? What is the output it is generating? And then, of course, what technique it is using internally. I think that would at least be the basic. Then you would also have who's the model owner. Right, so that becomes very critical so that you can have one person to go. And then typically you would have two owners there. One might be a business owner, right? So they're interested more in the output and the functionality of the model. Uh, on the other end, you'll have a data scientist modeler so who can go into and tell you the details about what that model is built, right? So this would be the sort of the basic definition of a model and a collection of these kinds of description is the model registry. So a couple of things to add to what you were just asking just there. Uh, the history for this actually comes from financial services. So a couple of decades back, when uh, banks and other insurance companies and other financial institutions were building some of these models, each one had their own model and it was unclear to the regulators. Obviously it has a financial implication on citizens and whether it's um, a mortgage or credit limit or whatever financial decisions these banks are making. So they wanted to make sure that these models are appropriately regulated as well as monitored. And so they came up with the idea or the banks came up with the idea of maintaining a registry and making sure that their credit risk, market risk, operational risk models are all part of that. And there was a rigorous controls around each one of those models on how should it be scoped, how should it be tested, validated, continuously updated and so on. Now that was just for highly critical models like your market risk models, which could basically break the whole economic system that we have if something goes wrong, right? So now what's been happening over the past, I would say half a dozen years, is that banks have started taking that model registry and interpreting that more broadly, right? So now within a bank, their marketing groups does a lot of targeting, uh, next best customer, next best action. Now, those also start using some of these techniques and have risks. So they've started putting those into the model registry so that there are marketing models, operational models, other risk analytics models and so on. So it's becoming a collection of all models across the organization. So that's one development. Now, the same model registry concept I think needs to be and should be used by other companies as well. Anyone who has more than a couple of models in their, uh, uh, in their toolkit or in their product set should be. And most organizations are that way, right? So in that sense, others need that model registry. But it can go further down, right? So we are seeing regulations come in. EU has come up with the AI Act 
where they're actually looking at the risks of some of these models. So again, banks and, and regulators require you to risk rate these models on maybe a one to five scale, one to three scale. And the AI Act is again saying there are some very low risk models, very high level risk models, and there are models in between. So in that sense, these models will then help us to risk rate them so we can have appropriate governance on the appropriate models. Again, linking it back to the governance uh, question here, um, if it is a very simple model with very few people using it, you don't want an army of people inspecting and, and using the resources on, 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 on verifying it, right? So again, internal models versus external models. So there are various criteria that you can use and that's where governance is evolving now to get at a better handle on what are the real high risk ones that we should be worried about, right? So, and those are not just financial, it could be emotional harm to people, reputational harm to the company and so on also could be criteria, but let's just look at those and models that impact those, for example, HR models. Now uh, you might say, what is an HR model? Why is that risky, right? So, but that gets into equal employment opportunity, right? So now AI is being used to uh, shortlist candidates or match candidates with job requirements. Now, if you use AI based on historical data, and uh, this happened to one of the companies, if all of uh, predominantly you had hired all male employees, the AI comes back and say, hey, if you have a, want a high chance of a, a, a hiring someone, interview a male, not a female, even though the company was explicitly going after women in technology, but the AI didn't know that, if you like. It was suggesting, hey, just interview males, you have a better chance of hiring them. So that's a very classic example of being misled by an algorithm because it's just using historical data. So you need to be careful. You can correct for it, but you need to be careful. So that's where we say even something like HR, you might think there's no big risk in HR systems, but there is if you start considering fairness issues. Beyond uh, risk mitigation and model registries, uh, I'm wondering if there was one desire that you had uh, for this future in AI governance or one uh, direction that you wish, just broadly speaking, that AI governance was moving towards, what would that be and why? And Sarah, uh, if you don't mind, let's start with you. Sure, so if I had a green field to imagine what AI governance could lead us to, I think that it, we would start to, to imagine say something like a model registry, giving us better insight into how much compute we're using, how much power we're using, how many resources we're using to be able to build some of the models. So I know one of the components of the measurementality uh, paradigm is to think like triple bottom line, you know, people, profit, planet. We've got a good handle um, on sort of ROI, or we're starting to get a handle on AR ROI. We're starting to get a better handle on the effect on people from say data labeling um, or for other forms of you know, personnel control for building AI or uh, making AI more ethical. I don't think we have a good handle on that planet side yet. We're starting to worry about how much power we're drawing to build some of the big models. But I don't think we've, done that, um, we're worried about GPT-3, right? We're worried about the very big ones, but we're not worried so much yet. What are small businesses spending in terms of power um, to, drive their, to drive their AI? If we don't even know what we have and what we're using in AI, back to Anand's point, you know, most companies are now using more than one model. They use many of them. How much compute do they draw? How much um, power does it take to to make these batch and stream dependent um, models work over time. That would be where I want governance, AI governance to go, is to use all the tools we have to round out that last P and figure out what's the planetary cost of what we're doing. Yeah, this is, this is a great uh, answer, Sarah, right? So I was, again, going on the people profit and planet part. So just following on from what Sarah was saying, um, just the compute intensity for some of these models, especially deep learning is enormous, 
And I think the community is just coming up with quantifying them. But I don't think businesses are too worried about uh, the actual uh, costs of doing it because no one is really putting any metric to it. Just to give an example, one of the very popular uh, AI natural language processing models is called BERT. And there was a recent study that was done to train the model once uh, the footprint, the carbon footprint of that is for a passenger to fly from New York to San Francisco return, just to run that one model once. And one company will not run it once, sort of typically they do it a few times and they calculated it's roughly 315 passengers going from New York to San Francisco and back is the compute. That's just one company using this word. And there are literally thousands, if not tens and thousands of companies using this. Everyone more or less repeating someone else's experiment, but maybe with a slightly different data set. Uh, and even worse than that, it's not even clear that the incremental improvement in performance of using uh, this is substantially higher than what they could have done with some other algorithm. No one knows. It could be. It could be. So, uh, so they don't know. So they go ahead and use it. So there is this a whole host of environmental issues uh, triggered by deep learning. And I think we need different methods to say and to facilitate for these things, don't even bother going after, right? So start with simpler mechanisms first. Is that adequate for your job? Then if it is adequate, why go and do a deep learning model just because it's cool to do that, right? So, and most data scientists are like that, right? So they would rather do something cool with deep learning and BERT and GAN and so on than to solve the same problem using a simpler solution. It's not that cool, right? So that's something I think it's a, it's a data science, uh, scientists need to change their view that they, are so, they need to be socially responsible as well, right? So it's not the cool technology. It's also how we apply it, where we apply it. If it is on a very important problem, let's say uh, something to do in the medical arena where we are actually solving something really critical in cancer or whatever research, yeah, probably makes sense to do that, not to just get an incrementally better customer who can spend $1 more with us than, than the competition. Is that really needed? Again, that's a decision which each company takes, but as a society, we need to monitor that, right? So to me, uh, again, I would go, again, the same people profit planet. On the people side, I would try and sort of separate out the individual with the societal well-being, individual well-being and societal well-being within the people. The reason is it is easier to measure the individual ones, right? So companies tend to do that. Right. So of course, if, if my preferences are taken care of, I'm spending more money with XYZ company and they know that, right? So, and they'll try and attract more of my wallet or they'll get more like me. But when it comes to the societal, uh, I would say they don't care, but no one is measuring them or, or there's no mechanism, right? So I know uh, that's where the uh, SDG goals or sustainable development goals uh, are coming in. And IEEE has some of these standards as well to translate some of those in the AI area. So I think we really need more than individual, which is go physical, psychological, mental, all the different metrics, but also societal. So are we creating systemic racism? Are we creating systemic uh, economic disadvantage between different groups? So there needs to be something. I know governments are looking at it. That's part of some of the, the regulations that EU is looking at it. So there needs to be some quantification uh, just as we have ESG metrics being being looked at by, by different groups, I think for AI, you need some of these things as well on, on the people's side, society and individual. On the profit side, as I said, I think people are measuring uh, what is easy to measure. People are not necessarily measuring what is hard to measure, right? So, and we get need to get to a situation where we start measuring some of the harder things, right? So again, if no one talks about it, it doesn't, doesn't even get mentioned. So at least I'm, I'm uh, confident that people are addressing it because at least people are talking about it. I don't think there's a solution yet. So the ideal world, as you said, would be where people are coming to some consensus there. And I think the other area which, which uh, we are concerned about and where there is more attention is the risks of AI, right? So the profit side is one part of it, but there's also a risk side of it. So I think both need to be considered by companies and they should be held accountable to not just the profits, but also the, the, the risk. 
And again, shareholders, stakeholders are, are trying to do that. On the planetary side, I think we went through the, some of the sustainability uh, issues and, and the sustainability well-being. So those are all the metrics that need to come. Uh, just one last point on the registry. I think model registries is a great idea. Uh, I think, again, some, some industry sectors have implemented that. I think it should be extended, but also not just models. I would like to see uh, people talk about decision logs. Just as we talk about transaction logs, I think we as humanity need to monitor our own decisions, right? So what I mean by that is if a, a transaction happens where $200,000 goes from a bank to the, to the uh, uh, one who is purchasing the home uh, or to the mortgagee, uh, that's a transaction and it's a transaction log, right? So that's maintained by, by companies. We can go analyze it. But what is not maintained is the decision of why this particular customer was given that loan is embedded somewhere in the internals of the system. And if it was a loan five years back, maybe someone went and changed the code and it's no longer available. So you can't go back and say, hey, tell me this particular person was authorized under what conditions was it authorized? Now, it's not just the algorithm. People are allowed to make certain decisions and, and relax those assumptions. So who is to say that what the people have done is in fact right or wrong, right? So there's no uh, sense either way. So we really need to keep a decision log of all the decisions that people are taking. So just as we talk about process and process flows, we should start talking about decisions, decision flows, decision logs, and then uh, measure our own performance. So when we have this AI, we can compare the AI performance with human performance and wherever it makes sense, uh, incorporate them, right? So without that, I think we'll still be groping in the dark uh, as it relates to how better AI is or is not. Definitely. And I'm going to ask us to get to dig just a little bit deeper for our one final question. We're almost out of time. So uh, we're going to make this as brief as possible. But I'm wondering if both of you can give an explicit example of a single metric that you think would be helpful to quantify and measure and uh, tell us if we have achieved success in AI in the future. And maybe Anand, for you, this is profit-based. I'm wondering what some of those hard to measure metrics are. And Sarah, for you, maybe this is planetary-based. I'm wondering what metrics outside of flights from New York to San Francisco, maybe there are. So if, if both of you could think of just one metric that comes to mind that we could use to optimize for success in some of these triple bottom line uh, domains. That would be a great way for us to close out here. Yeah, uh, I would say that I think from the financial perspective, uh, we need to clarify the return on investment, right? So it's still the same financial metric, but for AI, try and clarify what that return means and be explicit about either on the automation side, how much time uh, we are saving. Time saving doesn't always translate into resource sharing, uh, resource uh, uh, drop, and that's something should be clearly recognized. And on the other side, if it is efficient decision making, then again, uh, I would have that quantified by some of the things that we just talked about in terms of decision logs, decision flows, to give a metric as to we are 3% better than uh, 80% of our employees in doing X, right? So, and all of those metrics bubble up to get me how much better we are on doing certain decisions. You know, that um, the question, what's one metric that I would use? That's an excellent question. And I do not have a good answer for it. Um, particularly if we start thinking about it on the planetary cost side, we, that's a complex system that we can measure, you know, watts that we're using to power things, number of computes, number of cores, right? But we could also ask questions like, how much water are we pushing through our cloud computing centers in order to keep things cool? I think a general question though, we've got to get back to something that looks a little bit more like a well-being metric on the people side. How happy are people when they're interacting with AI-based systems? Are they happier? Are they more fulfilled? 
And we could ask that at an individual level for people working in the companies that build AI, but also downstream users. You know, Anand brought up a question about building AI for hospitals. Are nurses happier? Are the people who are working in surgical suites, are nurses' aides happier? I think we often ask um, about the well-being of people who are most like those who program AI, other sort of professional knowledge workers, but it's time to start asking whether or not people who are working to make sure that the systems that are keeping us all safe, are sanitation workers happier? Are janitors happier? Are nurses aides happier? Are care workers happier? You know, some of that research is not done. And I think until we really do that research and dig down into understanding the downstream implications of AI to the, the kind of least and last um, in terms of our society, we don't have a good handle on it. Um, whether or not we're looking at it from the perspective of people or planet or profit. Well, obviously we could talk about uh, all of these complex questions for much longer, but unfortunately we are out of time for today. So uh, thank you both so much for both joining us today and also the work that you are doing to build this positive future uh, for AI governance. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. We again want to thank Anand and Sarah for joining us today to explore how success is measured in our governance systems for artificial intelligence. As always, for our outros, we are joined by John C. Havens of the IEEE Standards Association. And John, as always, as always, what do you think? So first of all, thanks to Anand and Sarah. Um, Sarah's been a dear friend for, I don't know, five or six years. She's done so much volunteering for IEEE, so I just have to give her a shout out. I think she's one of the smartest people, I'm sorry, she is one of the smartest people I know. Her work at the Future of Privacy Forum is just excellent. And as a researcher, she is stunning, just stunning. She helped create, and by that I mean she actually led the creation of a glossary that a lot of people don't know about. It's about 100 pages of AI ethical terms uh, through IEEE, and I, we can give the link to the show notes there. But she and about three or four other people, but mainly her, listed, uh, it's, this, it's kind of like a registry, interestingly enough-ish. Um, but it, it's a glossary of terms, but instead of just saying, here's the definition of the word accountability, her idea, which is pure brilliant, is she said, well, the data scientists define accountability as X. The policymakers define accountability as Y. And the social scientists define it as Z. And then the marketers define it as subset A, whatever. And her brilliance and that insight was to say, if there are accepted definitions from those four different key stakeholder groups, and they aren't exactly the same, and newsflash, you know, spoiler alert, they aren't the same, then that means even in the same organization, people may use a word in English, even if they're in the same region, ostensibly, you know, they're not a global organization. They could be one place in Taiwan using the same word. And in those four departments, and I didn't even mention legal yet, you know, compliance brings up a whole new sense of what are we building for who and who's building it in an organization. So one thing Sarah said that really resonated with me was she said of registries, one thing that's a key value add for them is simply that everyone just knows what everyone else is doing. And this happens, you know, in any big organization, you just sometimes someone starts a project and you're like, Bob, doing the same thing over here, buddy, <laughs> you know, and Bob's like, oh, I was focusing on X. And you're like, oh, oh, never mind. I'm focusing on Y. So writing everything down that you purchase, whether it's a product, service or system. And like we were talking as prep for the show, you know, we're, we're I'm interpreting now a registry or a model registry is also a sense of a paradigm aspect like why did we buy the system so it's not just we bought this machine learning tool from whatever but it's a sense of when someone is asked as an employee to register their thing their new ai thing they get some education and, and i'll say this too i think this is the opportunity and anand spoke about this uh, uh as well uh and i have another anand point uh, in a second 
And, and, and Sarah also pointed out the environmental aspects. And here, I guess I'll say point one that I'm taking, but as an advocate, and IEEE, obviously, we do standards, so maybe there's a standard here. And IEEE already has a lot of registries for people to register different aspects of what they're doing. Here, as an AI ethics principles type like you guys, and this is coming from Sarah and Anand, so thank you for the inspiration, there's the opportunity to have all these registries start to be standardized, not just with an IEEE standard, but meaning common, you know, the same way they're created, to let it always be a tool for education. So if an employee knows nothing about data science or AI, and they said, hey, when you buy something or you're about to use anything with AI the first time, go here. And it becomes part of an HR employee training. I think that's a, a need and what an opportunity so that someone is like, I didn't know you'd call this ethics. They're like, I bought this machine learning thing for doing a credit score. Well, now getting a credit score, who's getting the credit score? Are they included in whatever? And they could also be asked to listen to the Radical AI podcast because they'd get to hear how it can affect marginalized people. So it's a great tool for that. So there's all that. And then Sarah, especially pointing out sustainability, the environment, the stuff you guys hear me talk about all the time, triple bottom line. That same educational experience in the front end could be when you're designing things using these amazing tools, you have the opportunity to be thinking about how to improve human well-being and the environment not just to keep from harm. And that means our product services, our brand, will start to honor the fact that to be sustainable, we have to build up, not just not tear down. And that means you can educate people and also give them the metrics they need to think about. When you use this program, these are the ESG, the environmental societal governance metrics we're going to be using, along with kind of you know, standard key performance indicators you're used to around finance. So be aware that the sort of introduction to the system is not just here's how it works from a data science standpoint, here are these other things. Anyway, really quick, the thing that Anand said I just wanted to honor is uh, with the environment in particular, he pointed out that when deep learning is used for certain, um, creating certain algorithms or what have you, that it can be the equivalent of like 30 people going from in a plane from uh, the San Francisco to New York in terms of environmental degradation. But I also want to point out, like, I get it. I'm a geek or a nerd or both. I'm a gerd or a neek. Like, doing the cool stuff is why you get into tech. Like, I didn't watch Star Trek only for the drama of William Shatner. I watched it because the doors went fwee beep when they opened and closed. And I was like, why do they do that? Like, there's wonder in this stuff. You know, awe. And so I want to honor the wonder and the awe and just doing cool stuff. But I think what I heard from Anand... And what I'd recommend is to say things like, uh, and I mentioned this on a previous show, there's a 7,000 standard now uh, that focuses on analyzing end-user values. And it's a, just a methodology to say what are the different end-user values that we can really uh, have a methodology to examine. Like what does privacy mean for the mothers, the fathers, the teens using this product? If you don't know what moms will think of something in terms of privacy, then you don't know how they're going to interpret your product. Um, so this innovation there, um, but then also just a key to uh, saying that these registries are a great opportunity to common, uh, provide a commonality of when can we do cool stuff so that everyone can enjoy it in a company. And maybe in that sense, you'd buy offsets for the flights or whatever. Uh, but then we won't all be doing the stuff that's going to harm uh, the environment, but we can still do the cool stuff there. Anyway, those are my initial reflections. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love just like several themes that emerged in this show, uh, one of which was responsibility, which is something that you were just touching on, John, about like our, our responsibility and our duty as humans to just try to not screw over our planet is a very big and important responsibility that's often forgotten in AI. And another big theme was transparency. And that is something that uh, I personally do a lot of research on with my PhD work, so I'm very passionate about it. But I thought one of the most surprising things that Sarah brought up in the interview was that one of the ways in which she would measure success for governance specifically is people's understanding of what's going on. And that's something I've never heard of. I'm not really well-versed in the governance space. I don't know if this is something people talk about a lot in governance. If it is, awesome. If it isn't, uh, let's talk about it more because I 100% agree. I think that 
people understanding these AI systems, all stakeholders, whether it's the employees that are the data scientists, the employees that are the marketing professionals, the CEOs, the end users, the intermediary users, the third parties, if everyone's on the same page, if we are truly transparent, that is actually the perfect foundation for genuine accountability. And so I really, really appreciated that discussion brought on by Sarah. I think as I'm struck with many times in these conversations around measurement, uh, just the difficulty of measuring within massive multi-stakeholder environments. Um, And we come back to this all the time, but there, um, even when we talk about a particular company or a particular country, um, like within that, there are so many different stakeholders who are measuring for different things at different times. Uh, And so for me, I'm struck with the, question of how do we best represent those different stakeholders in a way that uh, continues to to build something because there's a lot of folks like Anand and Sarah who are building really wonderful ways like these model registries for uh, people to talk to one another and I think establishing a common language across multiple models but also multiple stakeholders um, and there's also uh, a lot going on <laughs> at the governance level. And that's uh, one of the reasons why I was really excited to hear us unpack um, the question of, you know, who's creating these model registries, who is um, compiling them and putting them together, and then what we're doing with them. Because I think this gives a very hopeful model, um, for lack of a better word, for us to uh, use in other contexts as well in order to bridge some of these language divides or translation exercises that need to happen across the the multi-stakeholder environments. Um, But for now, uh, we would like to let you all know that for more information on today's show, please visit the episode page at radicalai.org backslash measurementality. You can search for the series, respond to our tweets, and get involved by using the hashtag Measurementality on Twitter and other social media sites. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Thank you for your support of the Radical AI podcast and the Measurementality series. Don't forget to join our conversation on Twitter at Radical AI Pod. And as always, stay radical. Radical.